and welcome to another episode of the Richmond Bigfooty Tiger Cast. I'm Michaels, your host, and today it's well, it's not going to be a, a great fun-filled episode for the first little bit of it with the review from the St Kilda game, but we do have two very special guests with us to go through it all. So first, I'd like to introduce Grogadoc, who has been a Bigfooty member since 2008. Welcome, Grog. Thanks, Michaels. And our second guest has been a Bigfooty member since 2016 and is starting to get that post count creeping up day by day. Joel Sight, welcome to you. Uh, thank you. No worries. And as we always start off with each show, uh, we'll find out how both of you became Richmond supporters. So, Grock, we'll start with yourself. What's your story? Uh, mine is sort of a combination of a few things. Um, I grew up in a rather large family surrounded by Geelong supporters. Um, my my dad is a Colton supporter and my brother is a Collingwood supporter. Um, but my grandfather was a Richmond supporter and um, I was always close to him. And I remember the first memory I have of actually watching a football game. Um, I was actually at my grandparents' place and my grandfather was the most gentlemanly person you could meet, you know, so prim and proper. And that was that was until he started watching uh, Richmond play it, and I remember it so vividly because it was the first time I had ever heard him swear, <laughs> and I just I just thought, okay, um, if if that can make if football can make him do that, you know, what else can it do? And that was at that fir- that stage where I first started taking an interest in in football and decided to give it a go, um, and I signed up for my local. Uh, local side, and they ended up being the Tigers. So oh, meant to I was be. just like, oh, yep, may as well just do it, and been on there ever since. And I think that was 18 years ago now. So, yeah. Very good. And what about yourself, Joel Side? How did you become a Richmond supporter? Um, I was born into it. <laughs> like most of us. <laughs> yes. My mum was an Essendon supporter, my dad was Richmond, and Followed dad. <laughs> Been a bit of a dad's girl. I went with Richmond. <laughs> Fair enough. That's no, a smart choice in the end, no doubt. Well, especially since I was born in 1979 and 1980 was our, first, our last premiership win. <laughs> Gee, that makes me jealous. I've missed all of that. I don't even remember it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll move on to the autopsy play of the year vote update. So this is now after round 16, so the St Kilda game. So in first place, we've got Dustin Martin on 48 votes. Second place, Alex Rance on 36 votes. Third place, Trent Cochran on 30 votes. Fourth place, who has jumped up quite a few spots, is Kane Lambert on 15 votes. And in fifth spot, Toby Nan Curvis on 14 votes. Um, so, yeah, Kane Lambert had two pretty big rounds in terms of autopsy voting, which has um, shot him up into the top four, albeit not very close to third. But it's just a bit of a testament to how good of a year he's actually had in a, in a reinvented role, I guess you'd call it. Uh, we'll move on to the roast and toasts. So each guest has been assigned a roast or a toast. And we'll start with you, Grok. Who are you roasting this week? Um, my roast is actually to Danny Green, um, particularly with all the hype and the scrutiny around um, sort of deliberate and intentional uh, hits behind play. Um, I'm roasting Danny Green for his comments he made to SEN regarding the Tom Bugging incident, and I'll just read out the quote that he actually said to SEN. There's not much in that incident whatsoever. It was very bad luck on Tom's behalf that he actually landed the shot. He got bumped and all he sort of did was lash out with an arm. It wasn't like he was trying to hit him or trying to hurt him. He was just lashing out. He was going for a punch to the guts or to the chest, a bit of a push punch. There was nothing in it. Mills has sort of sort of lowered his head, unfortunately, and it clipped him in the, on the chin. Obviously, he doesn't have a strong chin. He's got knocked out and got concussed pretty badly. It looks far worse than what the intent of what Tom Bug was doing. What a tough one because he's probably going to get rubbed out, but he didn't really do a lot. He didn't mean to knock the bloke out. Now, I find that, that quote pretty disappointing from someone of green stature given given his identity as a professional boxing champion and also as the One Punch campaign ambassador. Um, I don't believe that Tom Bug uh, what, didn't know what he was doing. Um, if you actually have a look at the replay, he actually has one or two seconds where he turns around and sizes uh, Callum Mills up and then throws the punch. 
Now, if he was trying to hit him in the in the stomach or the chest, um, obviously he would have had time enough to alter his punch to hit him there. Um, and Bug sort of has has form of being um, a bit of a sniper behind play. Um, he's got that reputation of being niggly. So I think um, Danny Green's comments are way off the mark, especially given his work with the One Punch campaign, because if that had happened out on the street, I believe that... Um, Danny Green would be whistling a different tune. It doesn't matter if it had been unintentional or not. What Tom Bug did still shouldn't be uh, diminished because of Callum Mills maybe going down a little bit too easy. And even even then, even if there was not enough force in it, if you get someone in the right spot, it's it's going to make it's going to make an impact anyway. So my roast is to Danny Green. Yeah, just fair enough. And I mean, at the end of the day, Mills didn't take any further part in the match. I don't think so. It obviously affected him well enough for him to not participate. And like you said, you look at the footage, and he clearly had an option to go for the stomach or chest if he wanted to, but it was a clear cut cut shot to the jaw. Uh, there's nothing else to it, really. So, yeah, those comments were a little bit surprising by Danny Green. Um, and Joel Sight, what about you? What toast have you got for this round? Oh, God, yeah. Um, St Kilda, definitely. I think um, that is the best I've seen them play this oh, since 2011, I think, was their grand final year. And um, it was... <laughs> I hate the fact that it was against us, but... It was the best I'd seen Nick Rewalt play in a little while as well. He really did turn back the clock on Saturday night. <laughs> he did, and I'm kind of good on him as well because it, from all reports, he's almost on one leg and he was always going to play that game because of the occasion. And, yeah, as much as it sucks that it was against us, it was good to see him kick a few goals and he really got on top of us. Yeah, and I think he broke that marking record, didn't he? 12 marks? Yeah, you're in right. Yep. Yeah. He's now the all-time leading uh, mark mark taker in the AFL. So yeah, that's a good achievement, I think. <laughs> it is, and like a lot of that comes down to purely his work rate. He runs so much; it's not funny, and he he marks it that often because his opponents simply can't keep up with him. So it's full credit to him uh, and, and his work rate. Um, I'm also going to add a, a mini toast in to Luke Hodge. Just he's obviously announced his retirement effective at the end of the year. Um, he's he's had a fantastic career, a four-time premiership player, captain for three of those, two Norm Smith medalists, and three times All Australian. It's a pretty good career, um, and he's been one of the best players going around that I've seen. I've gone to a lot of Hawthorne matches with my wife's family, as they're all Hawthorne, and just to watch him as a neutral control the back line, really set everything up for them. He's a pretty special player and I've got no doubt he's going to be a brilliant coach one day if he chooses to go down that path. And we can't forget he's also a Richmond supporter, so Is he? there's also that too. Yeah. Hopefully, we can, yeah. hopefully we can snag him because they took Chris Newman off us. Yep. It'd be nice to have Hodgie down back for helping out Shorty and, you know, kind of manager and stuff, just getting their half-back games as a coach. Oh, would I? Did either of you see the game where he was mic'd up? Uh, yeah, sounds of the game. Oh, yeah, that, that was just that was brilliant. I think it was a couple of weeks ago, and maybe against Adelaide potentially. Um, yeah, I remember the one. Yeah, yeah, his interaction with Ryan Burton and Taylor Jaray in particular just shows how much of an on-field leader he is, and he's, he's going to be an asset to any club if he does pursue coaching. Absolutely, yeah. and I suppose it's just a question of whether he wants to look externally to Hawthorne or if he wants to stay in his comfort zone. And I think you find a lot of players actually find it more beneficial to go to a different team, to be in a different environment and learn other ways to, to really build their own sort of game style for themselves in the future. So hopefully if we're somewhat lucky enough, he might come our way. But yeah, either way, whoever gets him is going to have an absolute bargain. We'll uh, push on to the the breakdown and the review of the St Kilda game. There's not really a lot to say. I mean, St Kilda won by, well, well 21-12, 138 defeated us, 10-11-71, which now moves them up to 7th, and we've now gone down to 6th. Uh, the scoreline probably doesn't really reflect how dominant St Kilda were. Uh, I mean, being down by 82 points at half-time, St Kilda could do no wrong. Um, and, yeah, the, the moment that kind of did it for me was when Lee Montagna slotted multiple goals from outside 50. When, when that kind of stuff happens, it's just one of those nights. But, I'll, Grok, what were your thoughts on the game? Um, yeah, I, I sat there and, and can't believe I watched the whole thing. Um, but looking at the game, um, I actually tipped St Kilda to win um, earlier in the week because... 
With their game plan, um, they're very similar to Adelaide, and Adelaide as a hard-running side who overlaps and tends to go go up the middle, um, they're the ones that we we struggled against the most this season. And St Kilda are starting to be in that 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 same position, you know, hard gut running um, straight up straight up the middle to give their forwards best chance of of marking. And um, watching it on the the weekend on Saturday night. You could just tell from the first four or five minutes that we we were going to struggle. Um, we weren't running. We weren't chasing. We were second to the ball, and we just got smashed through the midfield. Um, St Kilda's got a fantastic midfield, and even though ours is strong, we we just got blown off the park. And if you can't win the football, you're going to struggle to win a game of football. Very true. And Joel Sight, do you reckon that was just a one-off kind of performance by us, or do you think there's more to it? I think it was a mixture of a one-off performance and uh, the fact that we, our kids are exhausted, okay? Short's probably exhausted. We all know Riol is exhausted. We know Castagna's exhausted. It's not an excuse, but all that adding up, it's just – and then all the, the – Everything St Kilda did right. It's just it was never going to end well. <laughs> it wasn't, and the full credit still goes to St Kilda because they played exceptionally well. Yes. Uh, they were. They it, it was actually a joy to watch, to be honest, the way they moved the ball. Um, but I, you know, you look, you read the autopsy thread, and, and people are just losing their shit. And it's, it's like when you look at our performances over the course of sixteen rounds, we all know that that's not our standard of performance. We know that wasn't the real Richmond out there running around. So for yeah. me, I'm kind of putting it down to being. It's one of those games that we played our absolute worst, they played their absolute best, and hopefully the result's a little bit different next time. But as Grok said, if, if they've kind of got that formula similar to Adelaide, we are going to have to adjust a few things to, to be able to compete with them. Um, but I just don't think there's massive cause for panic just yet. Um, you'd like no, to think that... Not. I mean, really, it all comes down to how we respond this week, because if we don't respond, then yes, there is cause for concern. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it was just one of those weird games, and I didn't—I wasn't even really angry at the end. I was kind of just like, well, well, it is what it is. I would much rather have lost like that than have another nail biter and lose, you know, in the last twenty seconds. That would have made me more angry. Yeah, exactly. I would rather go into a game knowing that we'll lose from you know forty-five. 50 minutes out and have it go down 30 seconds and have, have my heart ripped out of my chest. It's, it's happened far too many times this season. And I think I would much rather be resigned to the fact that we'll lose than, you know, get my hopes up and have them crushed. Yeah. And I, I don't want well, you people... go back to the um, Fremantle game and we were behind for the whole game and it's like I was expecting to win, lose and then that last 20 seconds, and it ends up being heartbreaking. It was the worst loss of our season, in my opinion, <laughs> even though we didn't deserve to win. And I think I'd rather the St Kilda loss and the Adelaide loss to that myself. Uh, yeah, and look, I don't want people to think that we're saying that what we did on the weekend was acceptable or it's okay, because it was definitely not. It was definitely embarrassing. Um, it was definitely not up to standard, and they definitely needed you know a bit of a reality check. But the, yep. sky, the sky's not falling in at the end of the day as well. It, it just the thing that probably hurt us the most was the percentage lost, because it's obviously so yep. close at the top of the top of the ladder. Um, that's going to be the thing that hurts us the most, I think, come a few weeks' it time. Is, yeah. Just you just love them just to go out next week and smash Brisbane, but you know they're not going to, unfortunately. Yeah, and we'll, we'll obviously get to that after, but that, that is the big test. I mean, that's going to speak volumes about how they've responded, but you would like to think that they've gone back into the rooms and they all they all would just know that that's not acceptable, like that nothing really needs to be said. Dimmer wouldn't have had to have blasted them. It just would have been look each other in the eye and say, right, let's scrap that one from, from the memory bank, move on to next week, and let's get back to playing our style of football. Yep. Yeah. They can't let it way down the way down how they play for the rest of the year and next week at all. All right, well, uh, we'll move on to one of the hot topics that's popped up in the middle of the week, which we quickly added into the topics to discuss, uh, and we'll be very careful with the wording we used with this one. The Jake King and Tyron Vickery under investigation by police for alleged extortion and threats. Uh, reports state both were arrested. Vickery has since been released without charge, but continuing to assist with the investigation. The case allegedly involves Tyrone's former business partner stealing $100,000 from a joint 
restaurant business venture they had, and it was reported that King has been charged with extortion, threats to kill, and two counts of threats to inflict bodily harm. Joel Sight, what are your thoughts on that one? Oh, yeah, I couldn't believe it when I um, read that. It's, um, and I hate to say it, but the first thing I thought was, I'm so glad they don't play for Richmond anymore. How bad is that? Well, yeah. it's not really a bad thing, because I think we all thought the same thing, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. I just don't know what they were. I, know it's, I don't know what allegedly they were thinking at all. So I, I still can't fathom that there's been, it's alleged that they've done these things. And what about yourself, Grok? What are your thoughts on it? Um, when I first heard about this story breaking um, and someone said it was a 33-year-old man from Thornbury um, who was arrested outside of his uh, tattoo parlour in South Melbourne, um, I, I immediately knew that it was Jake King that was, be, that was uh, being referenced. Um, I think one of the big things that has sort of blown this story up as well is you have a look at Jake King and who he associates himself with. Um, if this had have been, you know, someone like Chris Newman, for instance, someone who's who's clean, who's clean skinned and, you know, doesn't really do anything, I, I don't think the story would be as big as it is. Um, but in saying that, the alleged incident, I think, um, both realise what they've done is is wrong. And I, I just don't understand what the process in thinking was from Tyrone's part um, with his involve, his alleged involvement. Um, with that sum of money, surely you'd, you'd think it'd be a better avenue to get, to recover that sort of amount if you go through, you know, the proper channels, court. Well, I read so, I read somewhere that apparently he did already go to the police and they didn't really want to know about it. Hence, why he allegedly turned to Kingy. But well, I, he wasn't happy with the investigation. Apparent, allegedly, wasn't happy with how it was investigated. And to be honest, yeah, if you, if you weren't going to get your hundred grand back, I'm tipping that most of us wouldn't be happy about the outcome either. But I don't. Yeah. I just can't picture Tyrone instructing Kingy to say or do those things. I kind of feel like that might have been. Kingy off his own back potentially if that's what he did because Tyron's you know he's a pretty smart guy despite being a bit of a dumb footballer but um, yeah, it's I can't be... imagine him ruining his allegedly ruining you know ruining his career over something like this because it will if if anything comes of it that's his legal career down the drain after yeah, football absolutely yeah well my reading of the situation is that I've I've, I've take the viewpoint that. Vickery may have let something slip to King and then King sort of allegedly took it on himself to go and sort it out. Um, I don't think Ty- yeah, I don't think Tyrone would have deliberately gone to King and said, look, can you go and do such and such because this reason or that reason. Um, I think King was just trying to – because we all know Jake King's loyal to his friends. Mm-hmm. So if – if he sees one of his friends, you know, having a tough time, he's, he's said he'll do anything for them. So I don't think it's so much Vickery, you know, being the mastermind. I think it's just Jake King misinterpreting what Vickery was saying and and going out and allegedly doing what he did. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how that one plays out. So we might come back to that one in, you know, the coming weeks, months, whenever that one gets played out in the courts. Uh, we'll move on to the AFL women's competition. Uh, Grok, what are your thoughts on the first year of the AFLW comp? Um, I think, uh, first of all, I think AFLW is a fantastic initiative. Um, I've got a few uh, female cousins who always used to bemoan that they couldn't play football past um, past sort of under 12s um, because of the regulations. So initiating something like this, I think is going to be a fantastic growth factor for not just AFL, but for sports in Australia in, the, um, in this instance. Um, in regards to AFLW, I, I, I only watched probably five or six games, mainly for the simple fact I was busy um, when they were on. Um, but from the ones that I actually watched, um, it, it's actually a fan, fantastic, um, fantastic sport to watch. Um, I think the women uh, were a little bit nervous given it was the first season, and I think once it starts getting, you know, more backing, 
um, and better talent access across Australia that we'll see it really start to kick off. Yeah, I, I agree with the call about them being nervous because I actually had written down that the first two weeks, the, the quality seemed to be a bit below average. Um, but from the third week onwards, I thought it was pretty good to watch. So what did you make of it, Joel? So did you enjoy watching the, the women's teams running around? I have to admit, I I think I only watched a little bit of a couple of games because um, I I don't know why. I I like the thought of AFLW. I'm if Richmond get a team in that in the women's competition, I am there a hundred percent. But um, I think a lot of the fact I didn't watch it is because Richmond didn't have a team, so I can't really comment on it because I haven't watched a lot of it. That's a fair enough point. I must admit I sometimes struggle to really get into games as well for that factor as well that it wasn't a Richmond team playing um, and like yourself <laughs> if Richmond had a team I'd be you know, I'd be watching it every week if it was on uh, oh, the, God, yeah. the biggest question I had though was the depth of talent it's, it was a pretty noticeable difference between the skill level of the marquee players and the rest of the players in each squad. And I suppose you just worry that if with more teams getting a license to come in, do we have a strong enough depth of the younger females coming through to, to keep a strong competition? Like, you, you don't want to see, you know, one or two good players in each side and the rest, it just drops off drastically. So hopefully AFL Vic uh, and AFL as a whole have pretty good things put in place to make sure that the talent keeps coming through. But I know from my work perspective, we deal with a lot of leagues and clubs around Australia, and the sales for size four footballs went absolutely through the roof on the back of AFLW being as successful as it was. So it's definitely sending a pretty strong message out and a good message to young women around the country to get involved, which is fantastic. It yeah, is, yeah. I, think, I think with the, the talent as well... Um, the more successful that AFLW becomes, it, it's going to increase the amount of clubs around Australia offering women's sides and also generates enough cash flow for the AFL to start investing in sort of, you know, women's academies and stuff um, as well. So for, for a starting thing, uh, for a startup um, season, I think uh, AFLW is really successful and it's only going to go from here, um, especially with the, the revenue from sponsorships and everything um, increasing as more sides get added. Definitely. The only thing I'd like to see him tweak for next season is to actually have a final series as opposed to it being just first versus second. And that's simply because it could get to round four or five and we already know who the two teams in the grand final are going to be. So it just adds another layer on top of the competition, adds a bit more excitement um, and it makes it a little bit longer as well, which which I think can only be a good thing for the game. Yeah, yeah Brisbane well, and Adelaide were clearly the best, weren't they? Because from what I understand, they both hadn't really lost a game until the grand final. Yeah, I think one of them might have lost to Melbourne along the way. But it was interesting because at the start of the year, I'm pretty sure Brisbane were tipped to finish last. No one gave them any chance at all. So for them to come out the way they did was um, credit to them. And they've obviously worked extremely hard in the limited time they had to get prepared. So it'll be interesting to see how they can back it up again next year. And obviously, we've, yeah. we've lodged an application of our own to hopefully have a team by 2019. Um, I, I, you'd like to think that all existing members would still get right behind this. I know there's a few people saying, oh, money could be better spent elsewhere. But at the end of the day, it's a chance for the club to grow the game uh, and support the women involved in sport. And I think that that can only be a positive thing for the club. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'll, I'll be the first to admit that I was disappointed that we weren't uh, getting a licence um, from the AFL for an AFL women's side, um, especially with all the work we did with um, our females in sport program and Peggy Neal and also the female Lagunters program um, at Punt Road. I thought we'd probably be a shoo-in given how much we've actually done for, you know, progressing female careers in sport. Um, with the 2019 um, scenario, um, with the AFL saying that they would look at bringing in two new uh, franchises into the league, I think maybe then we'll see a finals campaign actually introduced, uh, probably have the top four play um, and then sort of have two elimination finals and then the two the two winners of those play off in the grand final. Um, but I, I just think, yeah... Um, if we get a if we get a women's side, even though the money may be better spent elsewhere, um, we'll get that we'll get that money back plus more in revenue and sponsorship and everything as well. So it's sort of an uh, sort of an investment on 
of future returns. Yeah, so did you say they're only letting two teams in in 2019? Um, that's what I believe the AFL has said. They'll be looking to expand it to 10 teams in 2019. Yeah. Ooh. That's, that's going to be a tight race to get that because a couple of the teams have put in pretty decent submissions in for that women's, women's team. Yeah, um, obviously the obviously the the people who get um, provisionary licenses, yeah, um, they'll they'll obviously be the first clubs considered for a bid um, for a new franchise in 2019. I'm not sure if other teams have done this, but we've obviously signed Kate Sheen as our AFL Women's Football Operations Manager. Now, to me, that shows some pretty clear intent that we believe we deserve a license, and I'm not sure whether we're trying to sort of force the AFL's hand a little bit here. Um, just by saying, well, we're up and running, we've got someone in place, we've got the facilities, let's get it going. Well, it worked for Collingwood. I mean, they had a women's football manager in place before they even got that licence because it was, I think, it was always going to be Western Bulldogs in Melbourne in Victoria, but um, I think that the fact that they had someone in place before it was finished about decided which teams would get the original the licences, I think they had someone in place before that was even decided, didn't they? Possibly. It's a good move if they did because it obviously worked for them and hopefully that's us just following suit and fingers crossed we can get the licence because we, we can all yeah. do with a bit more Richmond in our life. Definitely. <laughs> all right, we'll move on to the VFL updates. Um, the VFL guys are going extremely well. They've won four in a row now. So Richmond 11-10-76 defeated Casey Demons 7-6-48, which now puts us up to fifth on the ladder. Um, as I said, with four wins in a row. The Richmond-listed goal kickers, Moore with two, Elton with two, and both of those guys back from injury, so great to see them doing well. Uh, Townsend, Bolton, Corey Ellis, all with one each. And listed in the best players, we had Broad, Townsend, and Moore. Uh, this week we play Werribee, who are sixth on the ladder, only on percentage, so they're the same points as us, so it's a massive game to try and create some separation. And I had some notes down for some standout performances Townsend had 34 disposals, 11 clearances, 11 tackles, and a goal. That's a fair game by any stretch. Absolutely. And he's been really well. Yeah, and I think people saying, you know, with Miles' form in the VFL, bring Miles in, bring Miles in. I'd, I'd prefer to bring um, Jacob Townsend in, having seen him at VFL level um, several times this year. Um, I just think he's a lot more damaging around the ground than what Miles is. He hits the scoreboard hard, he tackles, he runs both ways, and he can find his own ball. So if it came down to bringing Miles or Townsend in, I think Townsend's probably the way to go, only for his versatility. Yeah, it's a pretty compelling numbers. Um, and Alton and Moore, as I said before, kicking two goals each upon their return from injury. I kind of get the feeling they'll probably give Elton another week in the reserves. I don't think they'll rush him back, despite our desperate need for another tool. Um, and Moore, I don't think he'll get a look in any time soon, unfortunately. And the other player, Jack Graham, 22 disposals. So he just keeps building on his performances, which is really good to see. Yeah, um, one of the standouts I've seen from Graham at VFL level is one of the biggest knocks we had that... that Graham had was his speed around the ground and having a look at him at VFL level in his first game back from his uh, ankle surgery um, his speed around the ground is actually a lot is a lot better than what I think many realize um, you know tough hard at it he's sort of almost like a Mark Coglin type in the way that he um, sort of moves obviously he's not as quick as cogs was but he's just going to be a bull of a midfielder and i'm excited about what he can bring to us yeah i'm looking forward to hopefully seeing him get to the seniors maybe not this year but uh, but oh, most definitely early next year we'll move along to fire away we actually had a question submitted this week by tigers fan 35 and there's also a thread about this on the board so, Joel, so I'll start with you. Let's assume that we go three wins and three losses for our remaining games and end up finishing fifth on the ladder. We go into an elimination final and lose by a goal. Does Hardwick stay, considering how great we've been this year, or does he go? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm, I am going to say this straight off the bat. I like Dimmer. <laughs> I, I, despite... Last year, I had thoughts that maybe we'd be better off moving on from him. But this year, yeah, he's with the new. Yeah, he's had help with the new assistant coaches, but he's still 
turned our team around. We're a lot better this year than we were last year. I, I, if we end up finishing fifth on the ladder and we lose by a goal, I reckon in the elimination final, yeah, it's going to be heartbreaking, but I reckon finish off his contract to the end of 2018 when he signed up to see how he goes um, next year. Don't re-sign him until they're absolutely certain that he is going to improve on this year, but let him work. Let him finish off his contract next year. Don't get rid of him just because we'd lost in another elimination final because I think he's done well this year. I think he but, has too. And uh, what about yourself, Croc? Same same question. Um, I think um, Dim has pretty much locked himself in uh, for 2018 um, already, um, given the way we've played and the personnel that we have. Um, if we lose an elimination final, I still think Dim is going to be safe um, for next season. Um, the biggest thing I think that saved Dimmer is that he's exploring different options to what he normally goes with, um, especially with you know the the small forward line. Um, that was one of the biggest knocks many people had on Dimmer was that he always. Uh, he always played to what he what he knew and didn't really um, put any new ideas or or try and try something different in games. Um, and even though it's probably due to a lack of personnel with Elton and Griffiths being injured, um, so, uh, Chol, Soldo, and Callum Moore um, being raw, I think his ability to you know create a whole new scenario with the help of Blake Carousella and uh, Justin Lepich as well, particularly as the forward line coach, I think that's virtually guaranteed Dimmer um, to be there in 2018 and 19 because it's going to give him another chance to work on the game plan we have now and to draft and trade in obvious needs, which are you know another key forward and stuff like that. So if we can continue to to just be as competitive and consistent as we are um, during games now, of course Dimmer's going to be there in 2018. Yeah, I agree with both of you. Um, the way I kind of look at it is last year we were borderline unwatchable and for him to put his hand up in the off-season and recognise that he made some mistakes along the way uh, and he's making a, a proper effort to fix them and to actually follow through with it is a big tick for me. Uh, this year, we've you know we've played the most exciting football that I can remember on a consistent basis anyway. I know we've had the, the two losses against St Kilda and Adelaide, but with how young our forward line is and some of our backline players, we're still getting some valuable games into those kind of kids while still winning games and playing good football and competing for a top four spot. So I, I don't think you can really ask for much more at the moment. And like you said, Joel, it would be shattering to lose another elimination final, but I think we do have to see how he goes by getting in another big forward and another supporting Rackham for Nan Curvis. I think we'd be crazy to pull the trigger on him now, especially because a lot of our A-graders are kind of heading towards the back end of their career, and if you bring in a new coach now, by the time his game plan gets up and running and everyone gets used to his style, the best of them's gone and not going to benefit from it. So I think we kind of have to just stick with it, Um, and we're on the up, so that's the important thing. I think another reason um, that I sort of want, I hope Dimmer stays is um, Dustin Martin. Um, we know that Dimmer has a really close relationship with Dusty. Um, obviously, Dusty goes around there once a week and has has dinner with Dimmer and his family. So I think um, if Dusty, uh, Dusty will make his mind up. If Dimmer is still at the club, I think we'll, we'll probably leave. Uh, he'll probably stay. Uh, but if Dimmer actually leaves, I think that's probably going to be a surefire thing that Dusty will probably look at options elsewhere. Yeah, I fear you might be right there. So hopefully we keep him for that sake alone. Well, we'll push on to the preview for this week's game against Brisbane. Uh, last week, Brisbane lost 85 points to Geelong. And very much like us, they'll be looking to respond in a big way after putting in a pretty bad performance. The thing for me, though, is they still managed to get 49 inside 50s. So they are giving themselves opportunity to score. But the inexperienced players up forward, uh, it's kind of easy to to keep them under wraps, I guess. Although Hipwood has been playing some pretty good games as of late, and he is going to pose a bit of a challenge for Rance or Asprey. But their midfield's probably their strongest part of the ground with Zorko, Rockcliffe and Beams providing great run and drive. All of them have the, have the ability to hit the scoreboard. And the biggest example that is Zorko on the weekend had 36 disposals, 12 tackles and four goals. That's a huge game against the Cats. Uh, so Joel, what do you think we need to do to be able to get over the lines? I... 
think how we've been going, yeah, we lost this week, but I think we probably need to bring in a second tall. I do think that. I don't think Todd Elton's the answer, but who do you bring in? Because um, we don't have anyone, but we do need that. No, that's all right. What about yourself, Croc? You got any thoughts on what we need to do? Um, the biggest thing for me with Brisbane and the way they play is shutting down any space they can get um, just off half back, uh, particularly with Daniel Rich. Um, he sets up a lot of their uh, their drive and their play from half back. Um, so shut, shutting him down, not allowing him any space to use, utilize his left boot, uh, because he's probably the best kick of the football in the AFL. Um, I think that will will go a long way to uh, helping us win. And I think I think the second one is obviously sending Kane Lambert to Dane Zorko. Um, he's probably the most underrated player in the AFL right now. Um, Dane Zorko doesn't really get mentioned as being the out and out gun he is, um, and he is extremely dangerous. Can he can do it all? You know, play off half back, go through the middle, win his own ball, provide outside run, outside run, and also hits the scoreboard. So. If we can send Kane Lambert to him or even go uh, get Dusty to go head-to-head and try and make one or the other accountable, I think that that's going to be a, a big thing as well. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing with Brisbane is you know they're going to try and play through the middle. Like They're playing pretty high-risk football, uh, which I think is good for a young team to do. So if we don't keep our eye on Daniel Rich and don't keep our eye on Dane Zorko, they'll slice us up through the middle, which is going to give Hipwood and McStay, if he plays down forward, pretty good opportunities to take marks inside 50 um, and potentially some easy conversion. The other matchup as well that I want to talk about is Nankervis versus Martin. Uh, I rate pretty Martin pretty high as a ruckman. Uh, he's pretty athletic and run all day. And poor Toby Nankervis has taken an absolute smash in the last few weeks. Uh, like you said, Joel, so though, who do we bring in to give him a bit of a chop out? Because he just looks exhausted at, you know, at halftime every single game. And yeah, he does. And I think Martin beat him last time we played Brisbane, didn't he? I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if he did. Yeah, he did. Yeah, Martin was brilliant, I think, the last time we played them, um, which was in round four, I think. Yeah, but I don't know. Who do we bring in? Garthwaite's not ready yet. I don't – I know what other people say. Bring him in, give him a shot. He's still a kid, and it's probably a good game to debut a kid, but I'm just not sure Garthwaite's ready. Elton isn't the answer. Maybe Soldo, do we bring him in? Is he ready? That that's that would be my suggestion. Suggestion bring um, Ivan Soldo in as our ruckman and play Nan Curvis out of the square just to give him a little bit of a break while still getting uh, miles into his legs because um, we we can't we can't do to Knackers what we did to Ivan um, when he first crossed over from the Crows. He, he needs a chop out and we haven't got anyone in the VFL. I mean we've got Ivan. We've got Big Ivan running around um, marriage, but he's he's not going to give us anything at AFL level. So I think the only answer we currently have right now is Soldo, and as a, he doesn't work as a forward particularly at AFL level. So if we're going to bring in a second forward, it's going to have to be Nan Curvis who plays deep forward, and and Soldo is the ruckman. And, really... and Soldo's a pretty good ruckman, isn't he? Yeah, yeah that's. Yeah, I do remember the one game he did play, I think it was Melbourne. Was it Melbourne? Uh, Bulldogs. The Bulldogs, Bulldogs, they were feeding off him, weren't they? But um, hopefully he's got that predictability out of his game, but he probably is the answer. Yeah, I also think that Soldo's got the athletic capabilities to match Steph Martin as well, particularly around the ground. Um, We know that... um, Nan Curvis is struggling. We saw that on the weekend going up against Longer um, mm-hmm. around the ground. And he's really starting to lumber as well. He's not making the contest as much as he was early in the season. So we need someone who can go with Steph Martin. Otherwise, it's going to end up sort of like Colton and Matthew Cruiser, the way that Cruiser dismantled us, particularly in the first half in the Colton game. And I think people often forget that Nan Curvis has only played 23 career games. So it's not like he's you know, a five- or six-year season veteran. He's still very young in his own right, and we really can't afford to break him down this early. Uh, and on the weekend, Soldo had 43 hit-outs. Um, so, you know, he might have a bit of confidence, to, and it might be a good, good time to bring him in. And all we need him to do is to compete and at least break even in the centre, because our mids should hopefully be good enough to 
to get the clearances. But oh, I do like the idea of starting Nankervis out of the square because he just gets no rest. And then when Soldo's exhausted, he can go off the ground. Nankervis can go into ruck, and then we sort of go back to our original lineup, I guess. Um, but yeah. I, th- I think that's probably the the smartest option, but whether we do it or not is a different story. The other option I had written down was bringing in... Oh, I'm going to assume that Grimes is out with the concussion or potential broken jaw, depending on what the scans come back with. But you could almost bring in Bachelor to play on one of their second tour forwards and maybe release Asprey down forward. I know that doesn't solve the ruck issue, but it'll help us from a, a tall forward perspective. Not necessarily for the whole game. Maybe he just goes down there for half a quarter. But I think that could be another move just to give Jack a bit of assistance as well because he's starting to look exhausted too. Yeah, just just on Bachelor, um, he's actually been played down forward at times at VFL level and he's actually looked um, fairly solid, you know, the way he's he runs and jumps goals, at the ball. Yeah, I think he's kicked seven this season from memory. Um, yeah, he's, he's kicked a few. Um, but just on the who do we bring in thing, if we can bring Soldo in, and as you said, just um, play Nankervis out of the square, what I would what I would personally do is I'd start Soldo and Dusty in the midfield, and then when uh, Soldo needs a break, put Soldo on the bench, Nankervis into the ruck, and then have Dusty play as the deepest forward. I think that's probably the best option we have right now of scoring. And it also, at least it gives Soldo some A-grade midfielders in there to work with as well, just in case his tapping isn't up to scratches as, as what Nankervis' yeah. is. So it probably would be good to surround him with the gun players. Um, Rioli, where do we all sit with that one? I'm um, in the I... rest Rioli camp myself. He needs a break. The kid is so tight. He's literally running on adrenaline right now, I reckon, that kid is. I, I would say he needs a rest, but... I think I don't know who we've got to bring in. I mean, we've got Shy Bolton, but I I think that um, we're probably better off bringing in, you know, someone like Jacob Townsend to provide us with that extra midfield rotation, particularly against Brisbane as their midfield's their biggest strength. So I think we can afford to drop Rioli right now and sort of bring in uh, Townsend and have Townsend play as that sort of half-forward rotating midfield option just to provide a bit of a chop-out and provide some physicality to Dane Zorko because he's shown that if things get a little bit physical, he he tends to struggle. So I think he's probably the one we should bring in this week. I agree. I had the same thing written down because Townsend's still going to apply frontal pressure in our, in our forward half. We're not going to miss that by having him come in because he's just psychotic and chasing the ball down and the man with the ball so he's still going to set the fear of God into blokes with it um, and he also hits the scoreboard but like you said he can be another midfield rotation he can help look after Daniel Rich who might come out of the back line so I think he's just got a bit more versatility and yeah I do think Rioli needs to just freshen up I wouldn't even play him in the VFL I'd give him yeah, a full week off just to you know get his mind right and his body right and then maybe come back in and rotate around with the other small forwards yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree as well. Give him a rest. I, Kids so I'd tired. Pro- I'd probably um, bring uh, Bolton back in for Sam Lloyd as well. I just think we're better off getting games into into Bolton as quick as we can. And Lloyd hasn't really given us um, much in the games that he's played. I think his Lloyd's biggest strength was his was his football smarts and his kicking inside 50. And this season, he just hasn't been able to be as effective as what he is. And I think at this point, our, I think the positives for playing Lloyd um, aren't, are outweighed by the negatives that we currently have, particularly with the, the depth we have in the position that he plays in. Yeah, especially if we can bring in someone like a bachelor to, who might play up for it himself or release someone else. At least we kind of have then compensated for missing... Lloyd's height, even though he's not overly tall, he's taller than the other blokes. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing Bolton back in as well. So I, I agree with how they managed him and gave him a bit of a rest because he is very much an explosive player and does need to build his tank. Um, but I think he's had that rest now and it, it would be good to see him come back in. Did anyone see Bolton in the VFL on Saturday? How was he? I, did, I didn't watch the game because it wasn't on time. Yeah, I didn't get to the game. I was just watching... Um, I was just watching the VFL thread on the board um, for updates, and I think they said that he took a, a ripping mark, and and obviously he kicked a goal, but they they said that his pressure and his running were 
were top notch, so I think that he's going to come in sooner than later. Yeah, the reports <laughs> I read was that he was just far too quick for anyone at that level virtually. So I think we'll definitely see more and more of him in the senior side um, as he progresses throughout his career, which would be good. Yeah. Can I ask a question? Yep. Sure. What about um. <laughs> I'm a big fan of this guy, and I'm actually one of the few people on the Richmond board that thinks we didn't pay too much for him, and I think he's going to be worth it in the long run. What about Prestia? He wasn't great on Saturday. He's been really tired. I think he needs a rest himself. Um, I, I agree. I think we may have overpaid a little bit, but we can't just look at what Prestia and Caddy in that regard bring to the table on their stats alone because they're the ones that are releasing Dusty and Cochin and they're having yeah. to have, they're having their two best seasons at AFL level in in my opinion so they they're influenced not just on the uh, on the game themselves but also bringing others into the game um I think they they're worth it um structure wise um I'd probably like to see Prestia you could rest him, but I think we're better off just keep playing him because he's only played 15 games prior to this season in three years at AFL level. So um, we, we need to get games into him. And he's he's coming off a limited preseason as well. So um, yeah. we we could manage him, but I, I reckon we're probably better off just, just playing him as we can I guess until it, you know, he needs it. I guess it probably depends on if he's carrying an injury or not, because there's been a, a bit of speculation yeah. about him having a niggle. If he does, then, uh, I mean, I'd say anyone who's got a niggle, most definitely rest him. Don't make him play through it, because uh, we, we do have Miles ready and waiting to go as a pretty much a direct replacement, um, which, yeah, we, we won't lose out too much. But if he's not injured, I wouldn't be against him still playing, um, simply because, like you said, he does take the heat off some of the other guys. And he is good and tight with his hands, and you know what? He might yeah. only be training one or two days a week to, to manage himself, but he's, he's going to yeah, get I think better. One, isn't it? He's on light duties on Fridays, I think, at the moment, isn't he? Yeah, he, he trains with the main group on Wednesdays and then um, is on light duties and ball work on Friday. Yeah. Well, like I said, I think he's going to be worth it in the long run. Maybe that's not this year, but I think next year on, he's definitely going to be worth it. I just think he's got to. It's just, like you said, he's been out for almost two years, most of almost two years anyway, so he's going to need time. Yeah, but, at the end of the day, yeah. it's it's an investment. It's not a quick fix. I mean, it's not like he was 28, 29. He's still very young. Oh, God, so, he's only 24. Yeah, so the, still... the benefits aren't going to come through until, like you said, maybe next year or the year after. So I, I think while, you know, people want to see – uh, results now because of what we paid. Unfortunately, they might have to be a little bit more patient. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. You have a look at that trade as well. It was pick six and a later pick for uh, pick six for Prestia and a later pick. Um, when you actually break it down, that trade was pick six for Prestia and Jack Graham. So I, I think we're probably coming ahead on that one, um, particularly because pick six, I believe, was Jack Scrimshaw. Um, at Gold Coast, and he hasn't, from what I've been reading, hasn't really done much at NEFL level either. So I, I think we've probably come out on top in that trade right now. Fingers crossed. And um, mm. I suppose, like we said a few weeks ago, if Dusty happens to go, I, I just you don't want people to then put that blame onto Presti because we paid him X amount and paid Caddy X amount. Um, you know, those two guys are coming off their own merit. They're good footballers and they're, they're adding to our side at the moment and that's all they can do. So I think they will go from strength to strength, but they've still got to learn, you know, the new game plan like everyone else does. Yeah, exactly. That's the biggest thing coming into a new environment. Um, you've got to build the, re the relationships and the dynamics up and learn, um, you know, 40, 40 plus new players' strengths and weaknesses and, and try and work out what they're going to do with the ball, what they're not going to do, where they're going to run. It's, it's going to take time to settle in. It is, yeah. All right, and we'll, uh, we'll finish up with a prediction from both of you. So, Joel, side watch your prediction for the game, including margin. Um, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I do think we should beat Brisbane quite comfortably. Um, but I'm only prepared to say, mm. what, four goals, 24, 25 points. I'd like it to be more, but it is Richmond. <laughs> <laughs> no, fair enough. And what about yourself, Grok? Um, I'm, I'm in the firm camp that Brisbane are a really dangerous side. The way that they're playing... Um, 
at the moment, they're they're putting some pressure on decent sides. I mean, they kicked almost ninety points against against Geelong. We've got a fairly decent backline, so um, I'd say uh, we'll win. But I think it'll probably be fifteen, sixteen points at most. I don't, I don't think it's going to be a blowout. Yeah, I don't think no. it's going to be a blowout either. And a big factor for that for me is the fact that it's at Etihad Stadium. Uh, we really don't play that ground very well at all. And I know the masses are going to be wanting a blowout, but I reckon it's going to be about the 25 to 30 point mark as well. But all, all I'm hoping for is that they come out breathing fire. They make amends for the the game last week. Um, and as long as we can see that, I think everyone should be happy. And if they don't respond from last week's game, then I think alarm bells will start ringing. What I will yeah. say is that since about 2013, when if they do, if we have been embarrassed, they generally, except for last year being the exception, of course, we when we've been embarrassed from about 2013, we've generally come out the next week and been very competitive, and if not won, at least come close to winning. So I think it should be a better spectacle than Saturday night was. Yeah. It couldn't be hard to be a better spectacle than that, so I, I don't think <laughs> yeah, we'll play like that ever again. Um, just before we go, um, I'd like to be on next week, if that's okay with you, Michaels. Um, I'm going to be a delegate of the Big Footy Board at the player sponsorship dinner tomorrow night, and I'd, I'd be willing to come on next week and just provide some, um, you know, some thoughts and um, just give the opinions and what actually happens at the night as well, if you if you'll have me. Absolutely, no. We've got a pretty special lineup for next week for everyone. So I think it's yourself, Sturge, and RFC Tiger seventy four, I believe you three are coming on. So that's going to be very enjoyable to listen to the insights from the player sponsor dinner. No worries. And just a reminder to listeners out there that so the game's on Sunday, 16th of July at 10 past 1 at Etihad Stadium. The gates open at 11.30am. Um, kids come free, so if they're under 15, they can get free general admin tickets, which is a good initiative. For all membership sales, game day and reserved seating ticket inquiries, please visit the membership team located at the Club Hub outside of Gate 5. And we are live on Fox Footy at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And for those who have got some spare time on Saturday, the VFL boys are playing on Saturday the 15th of July at Frankston Oval against Werribee, and the game starts at 2 o'clock, and that promises to be an absolute cracker uh, with both teams on the same points. So thank you to Joel Sight and thank you, Grocodoc, for coming on to the show. Um, been an absolute pleasure talking to you, and until next time, go Tigers. No worries. Thanks.